Welcome listeners. I'm Suzanne Feeney, a pharmacist at CE Impact. We are thrilled to partner with Dr. Wall each week to produce this podcast. We hope you'll continue to listen in every Tuesday. Episodes always drop by 5 a.m. And pharmacists, you can earn up to 26 hours of CE a year just by listening in every Tuesday. Today's podcast episode is supported by an educational grant from Zelia Pharmaceuticals, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on providing important anti-infective treatments against serious and often life-threatening infections. Game Changers creates awareness of trends, laws, pharmacotherapy, and medical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy. Let's listen in to today's episode. Welcome again to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, PharmD, uh, a uh, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, welcoming you to this week's show. Uh, hopefully, uh, things are going okay in your little neck of the woods, and you're staying safe and, and staying healthy as best you can. Uh, um, as always, we like to thank everyone who's uh, been listening. Uh, we're, we're seeing our numbers, and, and uh, they're, they're actually quite good. And so I want to take a second and, and thank everyone who's taken the time to listen to us on their way to work or at working out or whatever they're doing and uh, spreading the word and all that. And if, and if you haven't had a chance to do that, please go to where you listen to your podcast because you can pretty much get us from all the usual uh, outlets and uh, be sure and subscribe to us. Be sure and spread the word to your uh, friends and family. And, and most importantly, head over to CE Impact who sponsors, you know, um, uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations and, uh, you know, take a look at the wide variety of great CE programs they have and, and sign up for one, including this package, which would allow you to get CE just for hearing me talk and going to the website and getting a, uh, a question or two answered makes it super easy, nice and nice and easy for you to do. It's all affordable and it's all, I, I'd like to think pretty high quality stuff. So again, head on over to CE Impact. Uh, that definitely keeps uh, the lights on with this program and I'm sure other programs the CE Impact is doing as well. So today we're going to talk about uh, a topic that I, I ain't going to lie. As, as a pharmacist, I was told Derm was always my weak spot. Um, and I suspect yeah, many of the pharmacists listening are kind of the same thing. Uh, there's not a whole ton of dermatology clinical pharmacists out there. Um, there's probably a number of reasons for that, um, but but uh, uh, certainly when I went through pharmacy school, you know, we got the the uh, the uh, talk on acne that we was was pretty decent. We got the talk on psoriasis that was okay, and that was really about it. And 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 in, in many colleges of pharmacy, it's just it's just not an area of focus. A because up until recently, there's really only been one thing to do with these patients, and that's throw steroids at them, no matter what the problem was. Um, um, or uh, there was an, a lot of the other stuff that dermatologists did. They compounded themselves, or they were making their own their own uh, um, uh, drugs to give to patients, and that's kind of fallen from from the wayside. Dermatologists don't tend to do that nearly as much anymore. And there has been a big change as far as the biologic revolution in dermatology. So uh, dermatology is certainly one of the the uh, uh, subspecialties of medicine that is now really benefiting from from the development of biologics to treat some of their diseases, and they're making breakthroughs in, in a number of diseases such as psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis that were unthinkable, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. So, uh, you know, so I thought it was not a bad idea to thought I could talk about atopic dermatitis because especially for community pharmacists is something that you're probably going to see quite a bit as uh, you're either filling prescriptions or you have a, a patient, you know, shove their elbow into your face and say, hey, what do you think this is? <laughs> something I'm sure we all went into pharmacy school for, uh, uh, you know, so so for whatever, whatever reason, um, um, hopefully this will be a, a pretty good review 
of this. So, and the reason the reason this kind of came to to, to to knowledge was just because there's been a, it was a really good review article uh, that just came out that kind of summarized the, the latest studies since the American Academy of Dermatology guidelines, which came out in, in 2014. Uh, they're probably due to be updated as well because again we have a, a couple of new drugs that are on the market. So I'm sure all of us have seen, maybe some of us even suffered from atopic dermatitis, um, and it's a, as we all know it's it's a chronic, extremely itchy uh, inflammatory disease where you get these flares of really dry, red, patchy skin, right? And um, uh, it, it often it occurs in, in periods where people will have flares and then it will kind of fade away in most patients. In ma many patients, it's only one part of the body. In some patients, it's all over their body, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the only thing that really links these, these patients is there's often a trigger uh, and the trigger can be environmental stuff. It can be cosmetics. It can be chemicals. It can be medications. It can be the sun. It can be a lot of other things that can trigger these, these uh, flares of disease. And most of the patients who have atopic dermatitis chronically also have uh, atopic uh, or have long-term uh, um, uh, allergies in other areas. Right? So many, many of them have, you know, environmental allergies or seasonal allergies and things along those lines. So that's very common and a not uh, a, a small percentage of patients also can have bronchial asthma as well. So they kind of say, you know, the kind of the tr classic triad, especially in, a, in an adolescent or young adult is the, the, the patient that's got, you know, mild to moderate asthma that they've also, they've also, they're allergic to a lot of stuff and, and, you know, allergy season's always really, really uncomfortable for them. And then they start busting out into these red, dry, flaky patches of skin that are again, incredibly itchy. And, and of course, you know, have a big impact on quality of life. Uh, adult onset uh, atopic dermatitis is actually pretty common, and, and some have said that up to 20% of adults in, in the United in, in the United States have uh, atopic dermatitis. The number seems a little bit high to me. Uh, uh, the, our children prevalence is is more along seven to 13%. And like a lot of things, if you can figure out what the trigger is, many patients can just avoid the trigger and and keep their skin healthy with you know uh, uh, emollients and and hydrators, and they never really have a big problem with it. And that's actually probably the vast majority of patients. We don't know exactly what causes atopic dermatitis. Right now, the, the leading theory is something called the outside-in hypothesis, that basically there's some sort of defect in the uh, epidermal uh, epidermal barrier that leads to dryness, and then that dryness leads to cracks in the skin, and then that leads to the penetration of allergens or Ill irritants, which then sensitize the skin and then lead to the, you know, the, the, the immune reaction that occurs and leads to the allergic reaction of the red dry skin and the itchiness and stuff like that. Uh, that's certainly not been proven. There's actually something called the inside out hypothesis that favors just basically, it's just basically immune dis dysregulation. But in any event, we're now uh, getting pretty good at learning that there are certain uh, cytokines that seem to be particularly important at triggering atopic dermatitis, in particular interleukin-4 and interleukin-13. And we are definitely using that to our advantage in, in, uh, in our deployment of treatment in these patients. Um, as far as is diagnosis is concerned, there, there are many diagnostic uh, um, uh, strata out there. Um, the American Academy of Dermatology has got one, but you know, if you just look up diagnostic criteria for, for atopic dermatitis, there's a million of them. And so I, you know, I'm not sure that, that as pharmacists, we really need to, to, to do a deep dive into that, except to just keep in the back of our heads again, you know, you've got this kind of eczematic skin that's really itchy, uh, patterns usually incur the face and the neck, uh, especially in kids. Um, and then usually the, uh, the, the, uh, arms and legs and in adults, it does tend to spare the groin and the axillary 
dietary reasons. So like armpits and stuff like that don't tend to get uh, atopic dermatitis. As I said before, uh, you know, most of these patients have a personal or family history of allergy. Many of them have a, will complain, have complained of dry. They say, oh, I always have dry skin and stuff like that. Um, they tend to have a atopical vascular response. Uh, so they like, they have a, a dermatographism. So like if you, if you press on their skin, it'll, it'll make kind of a red mark and that'll stay for a while. That's, that's actually one of the things dermatologists can use to help kind of figure out what's going on with atopic dermatitis. And of course, there's a million things that, that kind of mimic atopic dermatitis. Uh, some, uh, that we can't do anything about as, as, as community pharmacists, things like, you know, immune deficiency diseases, but things like scabies and, 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 and contact dermatitis can also really, really mimic that as well. Uh, something that's been studied quite a bit here in the last, uh, uh, 25 years is like with all dermatologic diseases, we know that, you know, this is an autoimmune disease. And, um, I think dermatology has really kind of taken a page from rheumatology and ha has tried to, to look and see, you know, does this, uh, immune autoimmune dysregulation stop at the skin? And in this case, the answer is no. And, uh, while you might expect that, uh, you know, many of these patients might have other types of skin diseases, they probably have a higher risk. Of, of, of depression and anxiety. I think that would all stand a reason, right? Uh, there's actually been a couple of studies now in the last uh, several years that have suggested that these patients are, as they grow older, at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Again, once again, you know, suggesting that patients with any autoimmune disease uh, have, a, have a hyperinflammatory state that seems to, to potentiate uh, atherosclerosis and may increase the risks of, of, of developing cardiovascular disease. Also, these patients uh, tend to be at higher risk for developing uh, um, uh, hypertension, diabetes, and hypercholesterolemia, so much more likely to develop the metabolic syndrome. Part of that is because they're on and off the steroids a lot, a lot, which doesn't help things. But even when you take that out of the uh, out of the equation, and patients who have never been on steroids, they're at higher risk for developing um, th these three these three diseases, which of course lead to cardiovascular disease. So, you know, we're a long way away for determining with some of these newer medications if we really if we really do a good job of treating atopic dermatitis, can we have an impact? on these uh, other comorbidities. We just really don't know at this point, but it's actually one of the hottest areas that's actually being studied right now in the area of atopic dermatitis. When you get to treatment options, which I think is where the pharmacist really gets involved, um, I think obviously you know the, the goals of treatment really are to try and, and minimize the, the disturbance of activities, daily living, and quality of life, right? And the way to do that is to really minimize acute flares or disease exacerbations. So one of the, the most important things to do with patients is, is, is to let them know that, you know, if they have atopic dermatitis, that they're probably going to have to have some sort of, of uh, preventative skin regimen and or a skincare regimen of some sort. And again, that's not something that pharmacists are usually really comfortable talking about because that's just not something that's not really in our training. But I think I think it, it's it's pretty easy to sit down for a couple minutes and say, okay, before you, you know, grab all the uh hydrocortisone off my shelf, let's take a step back and kind of talk about, about you know, how we can kind of treat this. And one of the things the atopic dermatitis guidelines that were published in 2014 talk about is that for mild disease, and really for all disease, but, but just for mild disease, basic uh, skincare management is, is actually one of the most important things you can do in these patients. And there's no drugs involved, and, and it makes it actually quite easy. And then as patients may develop more moderate or severe disease, uh, then at that point, you know, they're 
are obviously going to be on topical uh, therapies uh, and then maybe move on to some of the systemic therapies we're going to kind of touch on really quickly here. Um, so again, skin hydration, very, very common. Um, and in fact, there's a, a uh, though this is a little bit uh, controversial, there's a, uh, a something in the dermatology literature called the soak and smear regimen, which sounds a little strange. Uh, it has been studied um, and it's again, a bit controversial, but, but this suggests is actually a pretty good way to get the most benefit from your topical steroids. And so if you had somebody who was on topical steroids, you have them soak in a bath with plain water for 10 minutes, um, once at night, probably then smear on the topical uh, steroid. And, and in the study, they looked at this, they use triamcinolone 0.1% ointment, and then you don't dry, you know, you put that on immediately without drying. So it's, that's why it's called soak and smear. And that, you know, really improves the, 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 uh, absorption of the ointment into the skin. And that will hopefully really, really help, uh, with, with, with improvement in a, in a much quicker space. And so they say, you know, do this if you're, if you've got a lot of, of atopic dermatitis and this might help, uh, with the, the symptoms much more quickly. And then you can stop the so soaks when, when the, this flare has gone by, but you want to continue the, the, the topical steroid at night in a lot of these patients as well. So, so again, skin hydration, very, very important, uh, trying to use warm water, try to bath, which of course no one ever has time to take a bath. I don't think much anymore, but as little as five or 10 minutes is really all you need. And again, try and stay away from, from fragrance, uh, soaps, uh, fragrant soaps, or anything that's got chemicals in it uh, that might might be uh, uh, irritating to the skin. In fact, dilute ble bleach baths have actually been uh, studied in some of these patients who are extremely um, uh, sensitive to to um, um, uh, any sort of, of chemicals in 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 the in the bath. So that's 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 good to know. As we all know, topical corticosteroids really, uh, you know, kind of are are the are the standard of therapy, and 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 will work in, in the vast vast majority of patients with atopic dermatitis. Um, many of these patients will require, you know, maintenance use of low potency steroids. So again, in the in these in this issue of trying to prevent flares from happening, if someone has you know kind of moderate to severe disease, they may need to be on you know nightly uh, application of of uh, topical corticosteroids to the areas that that tend to be very dry to prevent a flare from occurring. And then you really only use the, the intermediate or high potency uh, uh, steroids uh, for a couple of weeks uh, for exacerbations. And of course, as we all remember from school, you know, don't try to avoid the facial areas or non-skin fold areas because skin thinning is very, very common there. Uh, obviously avoid, you know, any, you know, any mucous membrane area. And especially in kids, you want to try to avoid the, the super potency ones as well. That being said, one of the things that both set of guidelines, uh, and there's been some, some research in this too, and, and I think pharmacists sometimes contributed. This is something called, and I never heard of this word before until I read it, is something called corticophobia. And uh, I think uh, there was a paper uh, from France that took a look at, you know, what were, what were uh, community pharmacists telling their patients who are getting low-dose to topical corticosteroids? And and in, in honesty, I think in an attempt to try and, and, and be honest about the, the side effects that, that patients can get, they were literally scaring people away from, from using them. And, uh, it, you know, one, one of the things the, the guy, both sets of guidelines point out is that again low potency topical corticosteroids so not the the high or ultra high potency stuff and like most pharmacists out there i think i vaguely remember memorizing that chart for an exam and then promptly like flushed it out of my brain because i figured i could always look it up if i needed to uh you know but i think we all know that you know again hydrocortisone low dose uh um uh, alone can be used for long periods on large parts of the body with very little side effects associated with them a uh, low risk of skin thinning low risk 
risk of, of striae and things that, that we worry about with the more high dose pot, uh, potency. The other thing the guidelines mention is, is, you know, if I think that is important for community farms is to make sure that we're dispensing enough, you know, again, when we, when there, if the recommended dose is, is uh, you know, five grams, uh, you know, or 10 grams or however much, you know, keep in mind that, that if, if, especially in a child where you're, where you might be putting on the, all this stuff over a lot part of the body, you might be end up dispensing a lot more than you would normally think. And then the other question always comes up is, well, how is the, you know, if there, all this is, is, is a tube, how does the patient measure out what, you know, a gram is? I mean, you know, okay, I have this, you know, thing that looks like a tube of toothpaste. How much is a gram in that? And uh, what I was always taught, and I suspect many of the community pharmacists listening were taught as well, is that if you measure from the very tip of your index finger to the first end of the first joint uh, on the index finger, so that very first tip of, of, of your index finger, that's, that's a, called a fingertip unit. And it's if you if you put a, a strip of, of cream or ointment on that, that's generally considered to be about one half of a gram. So one fingertip unit equals about one half of a gram, and that can sometimes I think help uh, 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 parents and patients figure out you know how much of this stuff should I be using. Uh, 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 it's a general rule of thumb is that one fingertip unit tends to cover two adult hands and fingers. So uh, you know again you don't need this super thick coating or anything along those lines for for topical steroids. The guidelines talk about topical calcineurin inhibitors, which are now, we have, have a long history of use now, been using them for, for now over 20 years, and they're particularly beneficial in patients where we can't use high-potency topical corticosteroids, so you can use them on the face, you can use them in skin folds or other sensitive areas because they don't atrophy the skin at all, and in fact, can actually reverse steroid-induced atrophy, so sometimes they can do that as well, and again, if you are somebody have somebody who's using a just a butt-ton of, 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 of a, a topical corticosteroid, it can be steroid-sparing as well. Um, the guidelines do mention that you, know, uh, you can try two to three week proactive application and preventing recurrence after a flare. Uh, the big problem, of course, is the cost associated with these medications. Um, and, and also, uh, a steam and burning can occur, well, uh, especially in, in flared skin when you're first uh, applying the medication until you kind of get the inflammation under control. Uh, there is a boxed warning for the theoretical risk of malignancy with all the topical calcineurin inhibitors. Uh, that has not actually been uh, really shown in, cl in a clinical trials. So again, I think I think it's 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 uh, reasonable to tell patients that there is this theoretical issue, but uh, it has not it has not shown up since these drugs have been been out on the market. And then in the last uh, couple of years, we've had two big uh, uh, new drugs on, on the way for, uh, for atopical dermatitis. Uh, the first is a, a topical agent called uh, Crisaberol, uh, which um, if you're like me, have, you, you really can't go more than a couple of hours. It seemed like last year without seeing a, a commercial for, the, for, 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 for that product. Um, it is a, 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 a topical uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitor, and we know phosphodiesterase inhibitors uh, are potent anti-inflammatory. Inflammatory, so it just stands to reason that, that a topical version would be pretty helpful. Um, it seems that in patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, this, this drug does seem to have some, some benefits. One of the big studies that got the drug approved uh, found that in patients uh, who had moderate to severe disease, that about a third of them basically had completely cleared skin when using crisaberol uh, um, uh, versus placebo. And these were patients who were on a background of having tried you know, topical corticosteroids, topical calcineurin inhibitors and things along those lines. Uh, they did not see a lot of, uh, of, of systemic symptoms. You know, phosphodiester inhibitors tend to be not very well tolerated when given orally. You know, nausea is very common, but vomiting is really common, and that just wasn't ob observed in, in, in that. So that's been approved. And then the other big agent that... Uh, 
that has been approved in here in the in the last uh, uh, couple of years is is dupilumab. Dupilumab is uh, a, 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 a a biologic, and it um, is given. It, it's a, a monoclonal antibody that's that's uh, active against interleukin four and interleukin thirteen. Um, it's it's uh, uh, been approved for patients ages over twelve uh, for the treatment of of atopic for severe atopic dermatitis. Um, like most of these studies, you know, there's been a couple of trials that have come out that has found the drugs were beneficial. Uh, the two studies that looked at dupilumab were the solo studies, and, and both studies did find an improvement in clearing of skin, an improvement in itching, and improvement in quality of life. Obviously, with the cost of, of the, this kind of medication, um, you know, uh, and 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 the, the potential adverse effects and things along those lines, that's not something you would start right out, obviously. Um, and these would be patients who are really kind of the worst of the worst atopic dermatitis patients who have really failed everything else and that might be a considered for dupilumab. It, um, I do know a couple of dermatologists who have tried it. They've gotten good responses, but again, they've only used it really, really in kind of the worst of the worst patients, patients who have, you know, significant lesions over a large part of their skin and they they either isn't, they're not tolerating other therapies or they're simply not working. This is certainly a, a fervent area for, for research. Uh, you know, the, there are multiple uh, monoclonal antibodies and other therapeutic drugs being looked at for, for, for severe uh, atopic dermatitis. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where that'll end up going out. I mean, again, this is a serious disease, and, and I don't mean to suspect it isn't, but, you know, my guess is, just looking at the literature, that, that probably less than 10% of patients with atomic dermatitis are really going to have uh, disease bad enough or or um, uh, they are refractory to other therapies that they would even need to be considered for this. I think, again, thinking that that if, if, if you get good skin care and you try to avoid triggers and then, you know, again, when necessary, use, use low-potency uh, uh, topical corticosteroids, uh, you end up getting, you know, good response in a lot of patients. Now, of course, like all diseases like this, you know, adherence is, is poor. Um, that's probably not, not a big surprise. We talked a little bit about sterile phobia before. And I think, again, as pharmacists, I think we just need to, to, to encourage patients, especially who are taking, you know, daily low, low dose uh, uh, drug that you're, you know, you're probably going to be on this for a while. And that, you know, as long as you're avoiding uh, thin skinned areas, you shouldn't really have any problems with, with long-term use. And, you know, if you don't want the flare back, you're going to have to be very diligent about, about using uh, the, the um, skincare regimens that you're using as well as, as, as these therapies. So, you know, atopic dermatitis, again, not the, not the, not the uh, sexiest therapy or a disease, I suppose you could say, but it's certainly something that I think community pharmacists deal with on a very, very regular basis. Um, it, most patients do pretty well on it um, and, and do well just with, with over-the-counter type of, of regimens, but there is a, 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 a small but significant number of patients who require uh, higher level therapies, um, and and I think that's worth worth discussing. Um, it's also important, I think, important discussing that in patients who can't afford some of these other medications, who can't afford dupilumab, who can't afford even you know crisembrol. Uh, some dermatologists are still using you know going back to old school, so using methotrexate or or some other drugs. And methotrexate again has a has a long uh, history of use for, for 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 atopic dermatitis. So you may see methotrexate even being used in these patients. And again, the role of the pharmacist there is is to make sure they're adherent and make sure, of course, they're taking their folic acid a day, right? So, all right. So that's kind of atopic dermatitis in a nutshell. Um, we'll be back in just a second to wrap up after a word from our sponsor, CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. 
New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So atopic dermatitis, um, uh, again, we're going to see it, I think, um, and you may suffer from it. Um, we do have good therapies on on, on uh, the horizon, but we also have good therapies that have come out in, in the last little while. And I, as I used to say to... Um, a rheumatologist friend of mine in the early 2000s, I said, you know, it's a good time to be a rheumatologist now because you have all these great drugs you can use to treat RA and some of these other diseases, whereas in the old days, really all you had was steroids. That that shift is now occurring, I think, to dermatology, and, and I think dermatologists are now able to, to, to expand their armamentarium away from just steroids and methotrexate to a wide variety of, of other therapies, and then a, and atopic dermatitis has definitely been one of those. So, well, thanks, thanks again for sticking around for uh, this episode. Hope again you've liked it. Be sure and go to uh, where you listen to your podcast and like and subscribe and, and tell your friends and family. Head over to CE Impact and, and think about uh, uh, signing up for one of their programs as well. Hopefully this program as well. We'll see you next week. And remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you next week. <laughs>